0: Father, we thank you for being in this room tonight. We thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you for your glory that is in here tonight. Father, we thank you that nobody came to hear me. Lord, we all came to hear you. Jesus, we don't make room for the Holy Spirit. We give you the room. Have your way, Lord. Lord, this place belongs to you. This church belongs to you. It will never be ours. It will always be yours. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Father, we lay down comparison and performance and the need to impress. God, I pray that you would give me your words for your people tonight. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. Somebody said amen. 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 Thank you, Mark. Well, my name is Les, and I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco. We want to welcome you to the tent tonight. (laughs) The tent here at Mercy Culture Waco is temporary. We, We have purchased that building right out those doors that you probably passed. You couldn't miss it. It says Mercy Culture. Real big on the side of it. How many like the new signs? They look awesome. And uh, so we purchased that building. We're in the midst of remodeling that space. And we'll be in there by the end of the year. They're telling me we are on track. So we'll be in there by the end of the year. We're so excited for that. Um, I want to just welcome you tonight and let you know the vision of Mercy Culture Church is to take people from corporate encounters with God like we just had to daily personal encounters with God. And what does that mean? It means that it has never been the goal of Mercy Culture to build a big church. It has never been the goal of our church that you have to come to church to encounter the presence of the Lord. But we know it to be true that you can encounter God every single day of your life. You can encounter God's presence in your home and in your car and at your job. And we wanna help you to discover how you best encounter the Lord. We know that there is one way to God, and that is through Jesus, but in Jesus, there are many ways to connect with God. People connect with God in all kinds of ways, and we help you discover how you best connect with the Lord through a process that we call MC Connect, and it's your first step to joining Mercy Culture, and it's the way that we help to disciple um, our people to to find out how we best connect with the Lord. Just text the word CONNECT to 59090 right there on your screen. I was reading a book to my kids this week somebody had given to us, and it was a book about church but it wasn't a book about our kind of church you know what I'm saying they don't make a lot of books like that so they're just you know they're in their little nice little suits and they go and they talk about the little you know a hymn and then a message and all that and then at the end they say they're loading up the car and they look at the church they're walking out and they say goodbye God and I read that to my kids I was just reading it for the first time and we got to goodbye God and I was so blessed because all of my children just busted out laughing in Georgia, my three-year-old, she goes, we don't say goodbye, God. He doesn't live in the church. He lives right here, right? That's the vision of Mercy Culture Church. If you want to get my notes today, you can text the word notes to 59090. What's in front of me will be sent to you. I want to take us to 2 Samuel, verse beginning in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It says this, Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God. We, I'm just cracking up because can we make that smaller? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I kept looking. Okay. Bring back the God, which bears the name of, of the Lord of Heaven's armies who was enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the Ark of God on a new card and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the Ark that carried the Ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand, and he steadied the ark of God. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, And God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. And I've come to tell you tonight that you expand spiritual territory by losing control. Mm. 2022 is the prophetic word of the year for our house. It's the year of expanding territory. And that means that if you are planted in Mercy Culture Church, and that's the word of the Lord for your house for this year. We are expanding spiritual territory. We've been reading the prayer of Jabez in 1 Chronicles 4.10 every day over our families. If you're not doing that, I encourage you to read this scripture over your family. It says, Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Enlarge and expand my territory that you might put your hand upon me and keep me from all harm and evil so that it might not bring me pain. We've been believing God to expand our spiritual territory. We're taking a little pause. We've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit for the last several weeks. Pastor Matt Wakefield is coming next Sunday to continue to speak to us I'm so excited Pastor Matt is one of our leaders in Fort Worth one of the greatest and most accurate prophetic voices of a generation you don't want to miss next Sunday it's going to be awesome but we're taking a little pause because I felt the Lord say that he wanted us he was giving me and my spirit a warning and the Lord said don't touch the ark don't touch the ark I felt the Lord saying that he wanted to teach us as a church family how to lose control. And I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit type A. (laughs) Some of y'all laughing too hard. I don't enjoy losing control. It's not my favorite thing to do. But the Lord has been taking me on this journey of learning how to lose control. Learning how to just give him control. So tonight, I'm going to teach on the religious spirit. Now I wanna give you a warning because when we hear uh, somebody talk about the religious spirit as spirit-filled Christians, we often think that that's for other people. That the religious spirit when we talk about that, that's for the people that don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, we've been in a series for several weeks. We've been teaching methodically through all of the gifts of the Spirit, and I've talked about the spirit of religion is the same spirit that resisted the work of Jesus when he walked on the earth, is the same spirit that resists the work of the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, today. And that is the religious spirit. And so, some of us that believe, and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We're hungry for the gifts, we believe in the gifts. When people talk about the religious spirit, sometimes we can think that that's not for me. I don't struggle with the religious spirit. That's somebody else, but I wanna tell you, the religious spirit can and does affect Holy Spirit-filled and led people. And it happens when we try to recreate, control, or sustain a move of the Holy Spirit. Or when we systemize a move of the Holy Spirit. I introduced you to Pam, our spiritual mom, and it was a few years ago. I was coming back from a conference. Listen, there's nothing wrong with conferences. There's nothing wrong with going and learning and growing, but I went to this conference, and this whole, the conference, the entire thing, was to teach you how to grow your church. The, the whole conference was about growing your church. And I went, I was all excited. I learned. I had all these systems. They kept talking about systems. Give you systems to grow and systems to know what's going on and systems to help you grow your church. And, and all of these things, and the word, the buzzword all weekend was sustainable. This is a sustainable growth. I remember I called Pam and we were in a van driving from out of state and we had a bunch of church staff with us and I called her and I'm telling her Yeah, I had a great week, and let me tell you about this, and there's systems, and I kept saying systems, and systems, it's gonna be sustainable, sustainable. Now, Pam is an intercessor. If you want to annoy an intercessor, start talking about systems. And I'm just talking to her about this, and and talking about the sustainability, and she's just quiet. You ever started telling a story, and then the person isn't really reacting, and you know, I wish I wouldn't have started this story, (laughs) but I'm too far gone now. Now I just have to finish and I'm thinking, man, this is not going over well. I've missed something and she's going to let me know what it is that I missed. Later on, she told me, you better be glad I knew that the van was full of other people because I was about to tell you off <laughs> in a very sweet way. But I was talking about sustainable, sustainable systems. Listen, there's nothing wrong with order. The Lord laid this on my heart to talk about dismantling systems, and when he did, Pastor Matt texted me. He was scheduled to come and speak on the gift of prophecy, which he is going to do, but he said, I want to submit to you, I feel like the Lord told me to speak on the reestablishing of order in God's house. And I said, well, I think this is the Lord, because I'm gonna tear some stuff down, and you're gonna come back and rebuild it in his image. And so I believe in healthy order, I believe in things done decent and in order. It's why we don't just leave a mic on the stage and just let anybody come up and speak and sing and do whatever. And it's why there's a process of, of we have culture here, we have values, we have leadership standards that are based on the word of God. We have systems in order. When you walk up and check in your kids, you don't just drop them off and hope somebody shows up. We get some information from you. There's security, we wanna make sure you're safe. All of those things, there's order, I believe in that. But healthy order is to support the voice, voice of the Lord. But unhealthy systems supplant the voice of the Lord. Unhealthy systems replace God's voice. And I want to talk tonight and shed some light on the fallacy of the systemized church. You see, we're standing in the middle, and we are hearing the death pangs of organized church right now today. On one side, you have mainline Christian denominations that are shrinking in size at a rate faster than we've ever seen in history. Mainline Christian denominations are emptying out as fast as possible. And then on the other side, because of the COVID lockdowns, you are seeing the death of cool church. Because when we were forced to stay home and we were locked out of churches, people began to realize just how little impact their church actually had upon their lives. And so you've got the death of mainline denominationalism and on the other side, you've got the death of the cool church that tells you everything that you want to hear and how wonderful you are and has the lights, camera, action and everything exactly... Uh, formulated and systemized to keep you in the seats and to never quit growing and appeal to more and more and more people. You see, when the church began creating systems, instead of following the cloud, the church began to die. We have created sustainable systems instead of following and being led by uncontrollable fire. You see, the Holy Spirit cannot be controlled. The Holy Spirit is an uncontrollable fire that we are meant to yield to, not to control. And why? What is this temptation to systemize the house of the Lord and to systemize our relationship with God? It is because systems alleviate your need for faith. I remember I was sitting in a pastors Roundtable. I was honored to be invited to this round table of pastors. And there were just a a few dozen pastors in this room. And some of the, some of the largest churches in America, their senior leaders were, were there and were pouring into us. And most of it was amazing. And there was a gentleman that got up to speak, pastored one of the biggest churches in the country. And I will never forget it. I'm sitting there, I'm taking notes, I'm soaking it all up. And he says, pastors, you want to create systems in your church. You want to systemize everything. And he drew this picture. And he said, you want systems so dialed in and so down to the minute detail that you know when you turn this knob, this will happen. What was he saying? You want complete and total control. Why? Why? because walking in faith requires uncertainty. It doesn't require faith if you're certain a thing is going to happen. If you know if I turn this knob, this will happen. That requires no faith. Faith requires uncertainty. In Exodus chapter 13, when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and the Lord said, I'm going to lead them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of Of fire by night. It took faith to follow that cloud. In Exodus chapter 14 when God spoke to Moses and said I want you to just lift your staff over the Red Sea and I will part the waters and you'll lead the children of Israel across dry ground. That took faith for Moses to do it. In 2 Kings chapter 5 when Elisha spoke to Naaman a a very prominent man in his time. He said I want you to go down to the Jordan River, the nastiest dirty river and I want you to Dip seven times, and on the seventh time, you'll be healed of leprosy. It took faith for Naaman to obey the voice of the Lord. It took faith for him to dip the first time, the second time, the fifth time, the sixth time, the seventh time. It took faith. In John chapter 5, when Jesus spoke to the crippled man and he said, Take up your bed and walk, you have to understand Jesus was telling him to break religious systems and laws. And that man knew if I pick up my bed on the Sabbath, that's working, and they could put me to death. It took faith. It took uncertainty for him to step out. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said, I want you to go into the city. You're going to see a donkey there. I want you to untie that donkey. Steal it. Bring it to me. If anybody asks you, tell them that the master needs it. It took faith. He was telling his disciples to be horse thieves. You know, in Texas, somebody steals a horse, what's the saying? Get a rope, right? We don't play around in Texas. Don't be stealing no horses. But he spoke to these disciples, and he told them, go. And It took faith for them to obey the Lord. It wasn't a system that made these things happen. It was the voice of the living God. Now, order is important in the house of God, but if heavy lifting, the heavy lifting in your life must be done by God. If your system is doing the heavy lifting, you have systemized your life. You've systemized your ministry. See, religion tells us that we have the responsibility to sustain a move of the Holy Spirit. Religion tells us that moves of God in our own lives, in our church, it's our responsibility to sustain it. See, we in the Spirit-filled church spend a lot of time pointing a finger at those who resist the move of the Holy Spirit. All the while, we're trying to control a move of the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? We try and recreate moves. We try to put, put old wine into new wineskin. So what do we do? We say things like, if it worked before, it'll work again in the future. We begin to idolize and make gods out of previous moves of the Holy Spirit instead of seeking him for what he wants to do today. We do things like argue over carpet color and music volume, and we elevate our preference over discernment. Some of us have a preference on the type of song that we want to hear or the type of ministry that we want to see. And we call that discerning the spirit when we've elevated our preference and we began to perform instead of obey. Ah. As I was talking to, to my spiritual mama that day and talking about how we had to create systems to sustain the move of God, I remember telling her how to systemize prayer meetings. I I got all this information. I had whole notebooks full. You ever had anybody just burst your bubble? Yeah, she bursted my bubble. I had to forgive her. But I had all, it's a joke. You can laugh, guys. I had all of these systems written down and ready. And I was talking about sustaining prayer meetings. And how do we do that? And the Lord took me to Psalms chapter three, verse five. David said, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. How do we sustain the moves of God? We rest in the Lord. How do we sustain what God's, what God wants to do in our lives? We lay down and sleep in his presence and the Lord will sustain us. In Ephesians chapter six, beginning in verse 10, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Tonight, as we talk about the spirit of religion, we're not talking about a person. When we begin to talk about spiritual warfare, one of the things we can do as people is get out our little notebook and start making a list of people that deal with this. Oh, I know who he's talking about. I'm going to write this person down. Oh yeah, that's definitely David. I'm writing him down. Oh, I'm going to tell my mother about this because she struggles with this spirit. No, we wrestle against principalities and powers that have elevated themselves in the place that God should be. When we came into this city, one of the things we've been praying for years is for the Lord to reveal to us what are the principalities in our city? What are the things, the spiritual warfare and battle that's going on in our city? And one of the things that we discerned and felt was the spirit of false religion. There's a spirit of religion that hovers over our region and you'll find often a mixture Of a little bit of this religion and a little bit of this religion. And it's like Christianity is a buffet line. We just pick a little bit of this and pick a little bit of that. But our purpose, my purpose in this message tonight is that we can gain individual breakthrough from the spirit of religion. So that we can gain and receive spiritual authority for corporate breakthrough. Because we cannot begin to address the spirits and the strongholds in our city if we deal with those same spirits. It is not to label, I bind and rebuke the spirit of religion in the name of Jesus. You see folks, let me give you a, a, let's, let's teach on this for a moment. So I'd been dealing with spiritual warfare just all week long going into this message and it's no coincidence that we would have and teach on the spirit of religion and some spirit would come in and have an outburst like that. And what did she say? She said, repent of your sins. It was a religious statement. And I felt the warfare throughout the entire time that I was ministering. But hey, we're not afraid. Fear go, Holy Spirit come. So there is no spirit but the Holy Spirit welcome in this place in the name of Jesus. So any spirit of witchcraft or religion, we say in Jesus' name, bow to the King Jesus or leave in the name of Jesus. Come on, God. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just does a little, a little uh, illustrated sermon for you. Look at God. Woo, I feel good. All right. So the purpose of the spirit of religion is not to label other people, right? It is to begin, or the purpose of this message is not to label, it is to begin to look inwardly and say, Lord, is there any part of this that I'm dealing with in my own spirit? Let's go to James chapter four, verse seven and eight. You want to know how you begin to deal with it? Well, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will what? Draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Don't put your hands to the thing that the world is doing. Purify your heart. Look inward. Don't be lukewarm. What does that mean? It means we mix the things of the world with the things of God. How do I fight the spirit of religion? We walk in the opposite spirit. And what is the opposite of the spirit of false religion? It's the freedom of a move of the Holy Spirit. And how can I, how does one receive a stronghold or an unclean spirit? I want to just speak to this for a moment. It doesn't mean that you're possessed by a devil, right? This is not the exorcist. I believe in demon possession. People can be possessed, but just because you may deal with a religious spirit, it doesn't mean that you're possessed by a demon. There are two ways that we can fall into uh, the, the bondage of a religious spirit. Number one is you may be a prisoner. And what does that mean? It means that through sinful actions or words, we have willingly walked into a cell and locked the door behind us. One of the things that can cause you to be a prisoner to to, uh, the spirit of religion is unforgiveness. I see this often when people have unforgiveness in their heart towards previous ministry leaders or church leaders or pastors or somebody in the church that has hurt them. And what happens is one or two or maybe five or six people in the house of God have hurt us and the enemy convince us that it's God's house that is evil and hurt us, not those individuals that caused us pain. Now how do we break free and break out of the prison of this bondage? We simply ask the Lord to forgive us. We walk in repentance. The second way is when we become captive. And that means that we have somehow believed lies about ourselves, lies about others, or lies about God. These are false and ungodly beliefs. We have bought into bad theology, or we have bought into a mixture of false religions. I'm going to teach tonight for a moment on the religious spirit. We're going to talk about some of the some of the characteristics of this spirit and how we can begin to recognize it in our lives so first who are the biggest targets of this spirit well it's prophetic intercessors worshipers because their desire to move in the power of the holy spirit and secondly it is churches who desire to move in the holy spirit See, at Mercy Culture Church, we say this every week. We pray it every day. I encourage you to pray this over your pastors and over your leaders and over our church every day. Lord, it'll never be ours. It will always be yours. We don't make room for the Holy Spirit. We give you the room. This all belongs to him. And so we cannot be ignorant in the spiritual fight that we will face when we lean in to moves and to be directed by the Holy Spirit with all that is within us, we will face the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion is rooted in the church. Pharisees in the Bible planted the seeds of religion. Number two, it is void of the Holy Spirit, refusing to acknowledge his power. Number three, it begins in our thoughts for its foundation is our belief. And five, it has deep conviction of what seems right. We see this in the story of the blind man that Jesus healed. And the Pharisees were angry at Jesus for healing the blind man on the Sabbath. They were angry at him for breaking their religious system and healing on the Sabbath. We see it with the lame man that we talked about earlier when Jesus told him to pick up his bed and walk, what happened? He obeyed the Lord in a different way than the religious leaders wanted him to obey the Lord. Some of the characteristics of the spirit of religion, we're going to go through these quickly. So I just teach you tonight. Number one is legalism. Legalism means that it must be done a certain way. Legalism expects people to conform to a particular standard that is usually man made, and most of the time, it's unattainable. The spirit of legalism gets upset or frustrated when things happen that are contrary to a particular pattern. It is difficult when you're walking in this characteristic to extend grace to individuals due to a strong sense of judgment and conviction about certain beliefs. And there's sometimes a preoccupation with the past and how things used to be. So you'll see with legalism, people will begin to idolize previous moves of the Holy Spirit. Say, well we used to do it like this and we used to sing songs like that and we used to have clothes like this and we used to do things like this in matthew chapter 15 1 through 2 we see this legalism played out in the bible it says then the pharisees and scribes came to jesus from jerusalem and said why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat you know legalistic people will always find something so here they are talking to jesus complaining about the disciples not washing their hands. When they, now listen, Jesus, this is the man who goes into cities and heals all of the sick people. Gets people up out of wheelchairs, heals the blind, heals the sick, cast out demons, and what did the religious of their day say? You know, you didn't wash your hands when you ate that piece of bread. <laughs> That's legalism. Now here's Jesus' response, I love it. Don't get mad at me, it's the Bible. It says, you hypocrites! It got quiet. Well, did, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, the, this people honors me with their lips. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Legalism glories more in what God has done in the past than what he is doing right now. The tendency is to be suspicious of or oppose new movements or churches. There's a tendency to reject spiritual manifestations when we do not know or understand what's happening. We keep score in our own spiritual lives. Ask yourself this question, do you feel better about yourself because you go to more meetings? Do you feel better because you read your Bible more, you do more things for the Lord than other people do? There's overwhelming guilt that you can never measure up to the Lord's standards. Legalism often has a mechanical prayer life with no real heart collection. It causes you to base your relationship with God on your performance rather than on the cross. The second characteristic is pride. Pride isn't teachable or humble especially with those whom you judge to be less spiritual than yourself. The spirit often will only listen to the pastor, will only listen to the one they think is in charge. I want you to think back for a moment how you responded the last few times someone tried to correct you. Did it come up in your spirit, things like, well, I only have to listen to God? (laughs) who told you to tell me that? Who told you to give me that feedback? Pride often seeks to be honored by others, and it may look for ways to prove itself. Pride is self-righteous. Other people, other churches, other businesses are looked down upon. Why? For not being as spiritual, and here's a buzzword of the day, they're not quite as healthy as we are. Pride finds pleasure in the failure of others and sees this as proof of their own superior holiness or spirituality. Pride can't admit when they're wrong. Pride is always a fault finder, looking for things in other people. The third characteristic of the spirit of religion is accusation. Accusation releases lies, rumors, and arguments that bring about discord and mistrust. It falsely accuses others of wrongdoing, puts the attention on everybody else. Pride, uh, I'm sorry, accusation brings confusion by spreading gossip and half-truths. It undermines the trust of those in authority. It usually never goes to the source of a conflict for resolution, but rather aims to build a case and to promote a personal cause. Accusation, when approached, will defend itself with scripture and spiritual-sounding arguments. It comes from a judgmental attitude towards those deemed unworthy, and it passes judgment based on appearances and assumptions rather than all the facts. It feels compelled to fix everyone else. We see this in Mark chapter 2. Beginning in verse 6, it says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? These scribes were listening to Jesus talk about being talking about forgiving of forgiving sins. And he said, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, instead of listening, they began accusing. They began accusing who? The Bible says that Jesus was the word. That Jesus is the word of God made flesh. This spirit of religion always accuses the word of God. It brings accusation against God's word. Why? Because religion at its core is very simple. It is a lack of faith and trust in God and his word. You see, religion says God won't defend me. God won't defend my family. God won't defend my case, my church. I have to make my own case. It says God and the word cannot protect The people that I am charged with leading, the word of God and the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to people clearly enough. The word of God can't protect my family, can't protect those people that I'm leading. So I've got to create additional rules and safeguards because the Bible and the Holy Spirit aren't enough on their own. That's what the spirit of religion does. If you've been around and you've been to more than 10 churches, you've probably encountered, I'm being generous, you probably encountered the spirit of religion. I remember one day before I was married, I went to this church with a friend and we walked in and some very sweet woman came up and met my friend who happened to be a, a, a young lady at the door. She said, welcome, it's so glad to have you here. Can I talk to you for a second? She took her to a back room and when she came out, she was wearing different clothes she had her change her clothing. She put her in a long skirt a long sleeve shirt. They had a little room in the back to get you to change your clothes, why? Because the Bible and the Holy Spirit wasn't enough on his own to protect the house of God. They had to add additional rules and religion to it. And that's the way the enemy will lie to us, but the truth is what the Bible teaches us is if I hold my peace, and let the Lord fight my battles, victory will be mine. We cannot step into the court of the accuser of the brethren. When we open our mouths and begin to partner with accusation, we partner with the diabolical spirit of the, what the Bible calls Satan, the accuser of the brethren. The fourth characteristic of the spirit of religion is the fear of man. The spirit of religion is more afraid of what man thinks than what God thinks. It is preoccupied with people's perceptions and likings. Listen, as a pastor, I am painfully aware of the spirit of this characteristic of the spirit of religion. I am aware of the fear of man. And the fear of man is a mountain I have climbed and gone around. My wife is shaking her head up and down over and over and over. I have faced the giant of the fear of man so many times. And sometimes that fear of man, even while we're stewarding a worship moment, it can rest upon me. And as I was preparing this message, I felt the unction of the Holy Spirit just to declare tonight, I am not auditioning for you. Come on, as a pastor, as leaders, our job is to spiritually lead, not to make you feel good. My job is not to create an atmosphere that you are the most comfortable you could possibly be so that next week you bring three people. My job is to get up behind the pulpit and preach the word of the Lord and to tell you what God said. And just like we put on that banner right there, we will risk the crowd for the glory of the Lord. Look around this tent tonight, ladies and gentlemen. It is a miracle that people are coming. I know we are having church in a tent in July. If you would have told me six months ago, you're gonna put up a tent in a parking lot, y'all are gonna have church in July. It's gonna be the worst summer in Texas history and the place is gonna be packed. I would have said the devil is a liar and so are you. Get thee behind me, Satan. But here we are. Why? Because God said. We had four days notice. God said, put up a tent and I'll bring them. God said to do it. So when I come in here and speak the word of the Lord, it's not to tickle your ears and make you feel good. Listen, I like to be liked. Who doesn't like to be liked? But if you don't like me, I don't care right? I don't care. Why? Because I want the Lord to like me. I want God's pleasure. I want the favor of the living God. I want the Lord to look upon what we're doing and say, my heart is pleased. Don't look at the people in your life to bring you favor. Look to the Lord. Father, what is it that you are saying? Because when we give in to the fear of man, we will succumb to peer pressure, our family pressure, and we'll begin to please those that are around us rather than take the harder way of pleasing the Lord. We will appeal to the many instead of appealing to the one. A fear of rejection feeds the insecurity associated with the stronghold of the fear of man. I love watching Jesus walk out his fearless nature in the face of religious leaders. In Mark chapter 8, verse 32, he said, he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter took Jesus aside after speaking plainly and started rebuking him. You know, Peter, he was something else. He said, I think I'm going to take the son of man, God himself in the flesh, and I'm going to rebuke him. Can you imagine? He said, excuse me, I'll be right back, fellas. I got to go rebuke Jesus. I would have been like this. (laughs) Stand over here. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. You see, Jesus wasn't passive-aggressive. Jesus didn't say something like, you know, some of y'all really have a problem and refuse to address Peter. No, Jesus was not passive aggressive. If you have a difficult time speaking truth, except when you're behind their back, you may struggle with this spirit. If you can only preach to the choir, you may struggle with the fear of man. No, Jesus looked and said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus wasn't afraid to speak the truth. You see, the fear of man will have you abandon kindness for politeness. Politeness and niceness are not not a fruit of the spirit. Ooh, it got quiet. Politeness and niceness are not a fruit of the spirit. Kindness is. You see, we see this permeating our society today when your teenager tells you that they're not the gender that they were born as and we get down and we say, it's okay, baby. What gender are you? I'll call you whatever you want. That's a religious spirit. You don't even have to believe in God to have a spirit of religion. Listen, if you believe in 56 genders, that's a religious belief. You see, we think that it's only people in the house of God that have a spirit of religion. No, we've got an entire group of people who don't even believe in God, but have stronger religious convictions than you do. You don't get on national television and stand before Congress and tell them that men give birth without having a religious belief. It's irrational. It's a spirit of religion. John chapter 12, verse 42 says, Many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. So they weren't even afraid of. of of the government. They weren't afraid of being arrested. They were afraid of losing their place of prestige in the synagogue. You have to understand in this day and age, your place within the synagogue or the temple, the Jewish temple, was your place within society. And if the rabbinical leaders of the age put you outside of the synagogue, you were a social pariah. You wouldn't fit in in any, of your social, in any of your social circles because, and so they knew and were believing in Jesus, but because they were afraid of losing their social status, they kept their mouth shut. Why? Fear of man always leads to disobedience to the Father because you cannot fear man and fear God. In Mark chapter 12, verse 12, it said, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left Jesus. Folks, if you're afraid of the crowd, if you follow the crowd, you won't follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, you won't follow the crowd. Some of you feel like you're swimming upstream at work. Some of you feel like you're swimming upstream with your families. I've heard it described as trying to run in knee-deep sand. It's like, this is difficult. I can't get traction. I feel like everybody's going one way, and I'm going a different way. Keep going. Yes. Keep running. Keep going against the crowd and pursue the fear of the Lord. The fifth characteristic of the spirit of religion is unbelief. Religion is focused on what one sees and knows. It is suspicious of anything that cannot be seen or understood with the natural mind. Religion depends on human reasoning to understand spiritual matters and is not able to see into one's heart. It judges those who walk by faith as irresponsible or immature. Anybody ever taken a step of faith and you had friends or family tell you that you were immature or irresponsible and you had to do what? You had to lean into the fear of God more than you feared man. It is also unstable and fearful of not being taken care of. It doesn't believe God God truly gives unmerited grace and favor and provision. This spirit of religion is always trying to get you to earn the favor of God, trying to tell you that what God has given you will never be enough, and you have to continue to earn. It is always waiting to be punished by the Lord. It will seek to protect itself by clinging to things or people in order to bring temporary security. Band, if you guys would come up, worship team. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from from you. And Jesus answered them and said, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. What were they asking for? They were looking at Jesus and saying, prove it. We don't take you at your word. You've got to prove it to us. That unbelieving spirit of religion is always looking for proof. It's always looking to you and saying, prove that you're holy enough. Prove that you're righteous enough. Prove that you're wise enough prove that you're prophetic enough prove that you've got a strong enough leadership gift I don't know if I believe you you got to prove it You ever try to submit a word to somebody and they just look at you. They're waiting for you to prove it. It's a spirit of religion The sixth characteristic of this spirit The spirit of religion always resists intimacy with God. It is overly repulsed by emotionalism because it appears excessive, emotional, and demonstrative. We see this in that first scripture that I read about King David. To understand, David was leading the people of Israel. And for many years, they were without the Ark of the Covenant in Israel. And what did that mean at the time? At the time, the ark carried the very presence of the Lord. See, Jesus had not died and rend the curtain in the holy of holies yet. We did not have the blood of Jesus covering us that made it to where we could boldly enter into the throne room of God. So the presence of the Lord was contained within the ark of the covenant. And finally, David got to a point that he was just sick and tired of not having God's presence. You see, there's a season in David's leadership that everything seemed to be going okay. They were making it without the presence of God. There was a season that the children of Israel were living on the residue of past experiences with God's presence. Some of us in this room tonight have been living on memories of past encounters with the Lord. But the Lord wants to bring his presence back into your life. Not just in this tent, but every day. David finally got to a place that he said, you know what? I'm sick and tired of not having God's presence. And he goes to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant, but he forgot the words of the Lord. He forgot the direction that God gave him on how to handle his presence. And David said, I've got a great idea. I'll create a system that makes managing God's presence a little bit easier. So what did David do? They built a cart. So many of us have tried to take God's presence and put it on a cart in our churches, in our houses of worship. Guys, I've been, I've, I've seen the studies. I've been in it. Millions of dollars have been put into the industry of church planning. I've been to the conferences where they tell us, this is how fast the first song should be. This is the color that the light should be. And this is the temperature that the room should be at. And if your parking lot is this percentage full, people won't come. And this is how long people's attention spans are. So if church lasts any longer than 57 minutes, then you're going to lose people and they won't come. What, What have we done? We have built a cart to manage God's presence. We've systemized the move of the Lord. And we see this played out for us in this scripture in 2 Samuel. They placed God's presence on their system, and the moment his presence began to move, what happened? They said, no, 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 no. Stay in the system. And Uzzah, Uzzah who had grown up around the Ark of the Covenant, who had spent his days in God's presence because he just grew up with this ark, it became second nature to him. It became commonplace, God's presence. He said, I know the ark. I'll just steady it. We'll keep it in our system. And God struck him dead. The Bible said that David became angry with the Lord. Anybody ever been angry with the Lord? You're a lot holier than me, because I have. David went back to God in his anger. God spoke to him and he gave him the plan. This is what I want you to do. Don't systemize my presence. And he gave him step by step. I find it interesting that how did God instruct David to bring his presence? The first thing he did was slow him down. He said, your system is efficient, David. This cart works really well, David. It was built to fit my art just perfectly. And David, these wheels are great. They're going to roll over all of the obstacles and you won't even feel it and you'll get to where you want to go just that fast. He said, but that's not what I asked you to do. And he slowed David down. What did David do? He began to bring sacrifices before the Lord. The Bible says that every six steps, he stopped and he sacrificed before the Lord. What did David do? He stopped and he rested. He said, Lord, you will sustain this move. Lord, you will sustain. I can't earn it. I can't perform for it. God, you'll sustain it. His efforts became useless. Anybody can walk six steps. It wasn't impressive to walk six steps. God said, this isn't about you. And David blessed all of the people, all of the children of Israel as he... Danced like a fool in the streets and he stripped off his kingly garments and he lost all of his dignity and stature and he danced foolishly in the streets and he brought gifts to the children of Israel the Bible says in verse 20 that David returned to bless his own household but Michael the daughter of Saul this was David's wife Michael. She was the daughter of Saul. The daughter of the king that came before David. She was the fruit of the move, the revival of the past. She was that thing that was born out of the old wineskins. Saul was the kingdom of the past. Saul had a great kingdom, Saul saw great victories. And Michael represented that move of the past. She was the fruit of old wineskins. And she came out to meet David. She said, oh, how the king of Israel has honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. What did she say? She said, you're not doing it the way we used to do it. She said, look at you. You're so undignified. This is not how we usher in the presence of God. This isn't how my father did it. This isn't the way that we used to do it. You need to line up. You need to come into alignment with our system. This isn't how we do things. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and all of his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate the Lord. People have come from all over to the tent, and we hear one thing repeatedly. Just hear people say, I've never felt anything like this before. What's happening here? It's like the glory of God is here. How many of you, just raise your hand, if you've moved to Waco to be a part of mercy culture, just lift your hand. Look around the room. People are coming from all over the nation and around the world to Waco Texas to be a part of what God's doing And we hear them say, the glory's here, and the only thing I can compare it to is the Brownsville revival, or the only thing I can compare it to is the Toronto outpouring, or the revivals of old, and the tent revivals that happened 50 years ago. And we hear this all the time, and I was taking it before the Lord. I said, Lord, what is the one thing all of these have in common? And the Holy Spirit said, the one thing is that we speak about all of them in the past tense. So Lord, I don't want to be some firecracker that makes a beautiful display in the sky and everybody sees it from everywhere and it's loud and it's beautiful and it gathers a crowd. And when it's over, the only thing that's left are ashes. God, I want your fire to fall. The fire that consumes every spirit, but the Holy Spirit, the fire of God that never goes out. I want a legacy ministry that our children and our children's children will dance in the presence of the Lord. What do we do? Don't touch the ark. David said in verse 22, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. See some of us in this room, I believe the Lord spoke to me, said for some of you, you love the Lord and you love his presence. You keep trying to welcome his presence into your home, your family, your business, your ministry. And it seems like everything that you put your hands to keep dying. Business ventures are dying. There's no fruit in your ministry. There's no fruit in what you're trying to do. And we see this in verse 23, the Bible says, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, the fruit of the thing that came before had no child to the day of her death. Why? Because the spirit of religion bears no fruit. The spirit of religion always leads to spiritual barrenness. The moment we begin to touch the ark, the moment we begin to systemize the move of the Holy Spirit, we become spiritually barren. But tonight the Lord spoke and he wants to resurrect some dead fruit tonight. Everybody would just close your eyes. I believe that the Lord wants to resurrect some fruit that you thought was dead forever. Tonight we're going to take a moment and we're just going to repent of any spirit of religion that has worked itself into our lives. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us Every time that spirit tries to sneak its way into our life or to our church. So, first, as a corporate body, just lift up your hands. Jesus, as Mercy Culture Waco, we repent for the spirit of religion. God, if we have touched the ark in any way, if we begin to systemize the move of the Holy Spirit, God, we repent. Lord Jesus, we repent for the spirit of religion over this city. We cry out for the land of Waco. God, we repent of the spirit of religion. Help us, God. Turn from our wicked ways, heal our land, Lord Jesus. Heal the wounded land of this city. God, rain down the presence of the Lord and break the chains of religion over our lives and over this city. And God, as individuals and as families, we repent for the spirit of religion. We repent for a fault-finding spirit. We repent for every time we have cursed the thing that we didn't understand. for every time we have made fun of the moves of God that we couldn't comprehend and God we surrender to you and we say Jesus whatever you want to do God we will become even more undignified than this Jesus we will abase ourselves before you we will humiliate ourselves before you Jesus we will risk the crowd for the glory of God Holy Spirit don't just allow us to take the carts of our systemized religion and put it in storage just in case we need it later, but Holy Spirit, break the cart into pieces and use the fractured pieces of the religious systems to put upon the altar and drop the fire of God to consume the fractured pieces of our religious systems. in the name In the name of Jesus, everybody just stand to your feet.